Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. Joining us this week is Matthew, our usual moderator at ASD underscore Hokey Smash. And as always, I'm the podcast co-host. This is Jeff, and my Twitter account is at TalkinACCSports. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we check on our guest for the evening. Jeff, it is great to be back in the saddle again. I mean, you can feel that college football is in the air. I mean, I we are we are less. I mean, yesterday it was two Saturdays until really the big opening weekend, and I am thrilled that we are ready to start college football. I know you are too, man. And I'm just extremely happy about what's extremely happy that we're ready to start. I mean, I felt like yesterday I felt, you know, I was walking around Alexandria yesterday and it felt like it was, uh, it just felt like there was a, a sniff of autumn in the air. I mean, it was like in the sixties at night and, you know, I, we don't usually see that here in August at all. Right. I mean, we don't see that here at all, Jeff. And you could feel, you know, you could just feel the cool breeze coming off some of the rivers when you're out here outside for a walk and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like in support. You know, we're literally right around the corner. I'm just extremely excited. This is Matthew, as Jeff said. You can follow me on Twitter at ASD underscore Hockey Smash. This is the longest running independent ACC podcast in the United States. And this is the time that we usually check in with our Associated Press state writer for the state of Virginia. He covers pretty much all of the major sports in the state of Virginia. He'll cover NASCAR. He'll cover Virginia and Virginia Tech football, Virginia and Virginia Tech men's basketball. He'll also cover, uh, he'll also cover NASCAR. He'll cover perhaps a big, I almost said CAA, right? A force of habit, but you know, he'll cover the uh, the Atlantic 10 matchup like VCU and George Mason University and that sort of thing. Hank Kurtz is with us tonight. And I think that we're still having extreme difficulty with trying to get him on the show here, Jeff. Um, do you have we have we heard anything from him here yet? Cuz I don't uh, I don't see Hank yet. Okay, uh, I wonder if he. Let's check in with him. All right, and while Matthew's checking on this, uh, on 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 Hank, to get him on board, um, you know we're going to be looking at Virginia and Virginia Tech football in this podcast. Um, as Matthew said, we're one week away from actual college football. The main There'll be games next week. We got Navy and Notre Dame, and I think Vanderbilt, Hawaii, among a few others. You know, not not a great slate. Week zero, and then the game, then the season really gets going in earnest the week after. Um, Jeff, so Jeff far- can I can I interrupt you? I'm sorry, apologize, yes, friend. Yes, sir. Uh, our our guest is saying he's seeing nothing to get him in the show. I'm not sure what that mean what that means. That's what he's t- that's what he's telling us. He said there's nothing on the link showing him how to get in. I'm, 
Not quite uh, sure what that, what that means. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, just a second. Hit open. All and, right. We'll, we'll have him here momentarily. And your pod bean should open. So okay. While, <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, while you're working with Hank there, Matthew, um, you know, from a from an ACC perspective, uh, the big news, you know, it's still speculation about California and Stanford uh, joining the ACC. This is a very polarizing discussion uh, from those who say, you know, any addition to the ACC uh, is a positive for the conference just for based on the sheer number that you would add. Um, I think most agree there's probably not a huge financial boon to the conference, but there's also seems to be a quartet of schools that uh, voted against it the week before, and that being Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and North Carolina State. Uh, but some recent news this week came out that, you know, could have changed the way this expansion topic is viewed. And that is basically Stanford has offered up that they would join the ACC at no cost or greatly reduced shares. Oh. On Friday, I was listening to an ACC radio show with former FSU quarterback EJ Manuel and the ACC Network. West Durham, and you know if those school, if Stanford did take those greatly reduced shares, uh, maybe SMU Cal, you know if they do something similar, though they seem to have more financial issues than than either of those, uh, the possibility exists for the ACC to get you know expansion candidates at virtually no cost. Um, as EJ Manuel said, this is almost a no-brainer for the ACC to go ahead and accept Stanford, understanding that, and we there's not a single person who doesn't believe that this makes any geographic sense. But if you're still concerned about geography when it comes to expansion, um, we can set you back on a time machine to 2005 because that's about the last time anyone cared about that. At the moment, it is all about revenue, revenue, revenue. What can schools generate? for particular conferences. And um, I'm starting to lean as well as a EJ Manual that, you know, if these schools are willing to pay their way into the ACC for the next five or six years and ESPN pays, you know, the pro-rater agreement and you have 30 million or, you know, some, we'll, we'll just say a neighborhood of 40, $50 million between these schools coming in and you split it between the rest of the ACC. Um, you're talking, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to $5 million per school. And, you know, you know, make no mistake, this isn't catching the SEC and Big Ten, but with one move, you've made up, you know, 10% of that gap that you've been trying to figure out how to make up any, any deficit for that gap. Um, I, I tend to agree with EJ Manuel at, at this point, if they've really offered it up in such a way, it's, it's a no brainer, I would say 
to go ahead and take Stanford. I mean, they were they'll be the conf- team in the program that you know unfortunately has to eat most of the travel costs because for the even for the Olympic sports of the ACC, it's you know it's a one trip out west and back you know to the rest of the teams that you're used to to working with in the ACC. Um, you know there is no more move that's going to ensure state stability for 20 or 25 years. You got to work in increments of, you know, five, six years at a time. And and that's been a criticism of the ACC. You know, they have this long-term contract. Um, but if you can make a move that will increase revenue over the next five or six years, uh, I think at this point, you have to go ahead and do it. And this still seems to be... Um, you know, there still seems to be consideration for these two schools. I don't think this is a dead topic. Um, so we'll see. This is probably the week that the ACC presidents have to, you know, make the decision final. We thought the decision was final over a week ago. Um, but with Stanford's news coming out, uh, just a couple, you know, I think it was on Thursday that they're basically willing to pay their way in. That that kind of changes, you know, the dynamic of what was voted on. The week before so we'll just have to see on that uh let me check with matthew how our guest is doing uh he's had difficulty technical difficulties uh, jeff and he's restarting his phone but i, I do want to add something on this and i perhaps have a question for you how how long uh would say uh, let's say you know theory right stan i'll get into the acc on these conditions that you're talking about is this just a one-year thing? Is this a two-year thing? Is this a permanent thing? What's the, do we know? I, I don't even think we know what the the format of it would be. There's some that think you know this could be a football-only agreement or a football and basketball, and that they would deposit the rest of their Olympic sports in a West Coast conference. Um, I do think it would not be um, just a one or two year uh, agreement. I think it would be for the duration of the, of the uh, current media contract through 2036. If it goes through. Let's try it. Uh, try one more time here, Jeff, because Hank is having difficulty. Uh, drop the, drop the link into the, uh, into the uh, DM again, because he has no idea why it's not working. And drop uh, drop it in there for him if you don't mind, and ha- we'll have, try to have him click on click on it again. And if we have difficulties, you and I are just keep going. You and I are just keep going with this open microphone thing because I have a I have a I have, I have something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> I have something I want to talk to you about. So I know well, you. Uh, well, ch- so if you don't mind, check with, put the drop that link in there, and I'll, I'll and then I'll tee up the topic. Okay. All right. We'll there do we that. go. You know what I'm going to talk about, I think. <laughs> Andrea Adelson from ESPN had, ama- had an amazing article this week on Virginia Tech. It was incredible. And it was just, inc- it was the re- you know, I, we could have an entire podcast about this. So I don't, I don't want to take too much of our time talking about this, but she talked about why, you know, she had several discussions in there in her article about, the, 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 the demise of Virginia Tech football, the infighting that happened between perhaps people that were aligned with the old coach, Frank Beamer, and, you know, perhaps, you know, and uh, Justin Fuente, 
And it was just incredibly well researched. And it basically comes down to the fact that Virginia Tech football was perhaps managed very similarly to uh, a mom and pop sort of football program and never really capitalized on the times of the good times of the early 2000s when that was the time like to cash in on getting all the donations so, you know kind of like Clemson did actually to go to the next step and be you know be a major college football power that was the time to cash in and now that was of course my own analysis I never said that I didn't see that in her article that was perhaps one thing that she missed and there you know and there were some I think a lot of the stuff was really known I think people really knew the impact that John Balin had in, the, in that relationship, the guy, the uh, the football, uh, d uh, the football director of uh, football director administrator, that uh, that was uh, um, that was kind of aligned with Frank Beamer for several years. He was with him for like three years, right, as his as his football administrator, and that football kind of, you know, they kind of just caused a caused some damaging caused some damaging relationship there and now and i do have some questions i mean i i question honestly the timing of the story i find it just absolutely i find i find that the timing of that story was absolutely ridiculous because i figure why are we why why are we hearing about this this late in the game i'm here guys when this ah all right hey. we got gotcha. you oh my god <laughs> sorry about that good lord that's I so got on here 15 minutes early because I knew last time I had an issue, but oh my gosh. This was like it kept taking me to this download thing. When I look at my phone after this, I probably have Podbean downloaded 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We're happy you're here. So, I'm happy to be here. Hey, man, man. So here it is. I mean, we have a outstanding guest tonight. <laughs> Joining us tonight is Associated Press State, uh, Sports Writer for the State of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, I should say. Hank Kurtz Jr., welcome, Hank. You can follow Twitter, follow, excuse me, Hank on Twitter at, at Hank Kurtz Jr. That's at H-A-N-K-K-U-R-Z-J-R. And Hank, again, we're glad that, and happy that you're back here on the podcast. Me please too. tell Please tell <laughs> us about yourself, where you went to school, what sports you cover in Virginia. I think I ran a lot of, ran a lot of that earlier, tr tried to run a lot of that earlier, but they love our listeners would love to hear it from you because we're becoming the ACC pod go-to podcast in the country. We're the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the United States. That's awesome. It's good to be here. Um, I'm a Jersey-born guy, moved down here in 95, uh, went to journalism school at Ohio University. Uh, mostly because they had a late application deadline. Uh, bodes well in journalism, right? Um, and uh, been down here since 95. I cover Virginia. Some Virginia Tech, although budget constraints have kind of limited my exposure up there. Um, NASCAR, some golf, some, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, do some national stuff for our college football packages and stuff like that. And um, just kind of try to find things to do. Outstanding, outstanding, friends. So we're going to start with just a kind of a, this is our, I should say, our really our Commonwealth edition of the ACC podcast because you are a Virginia expert. You've been in this, this state, this Commonwealth a long time. 
So we're going to talk a little ACC hoops here first. We got a two-part question here. This upcoming year for Virginia Tech men's basketball, that's 2023-2020. Is this a really important year for Mike Young? And the second part, why all the hate for Tony Bennett, who isn't that far removed from an NCAA title? The floor is yours, Hank. Well, um, it's it's an important year for Virginia Tech. Um, I don't think like I don't think Mike Young's job is in danger or anything. I mean, they won the ACC tournament four games in a row two years ago, so um, you know he, he he's a great coach. Um, the the Hokie fans love the way they play. They love three point bombing in, um, and you know they just have to find you know the transfer portal can change things so quickly, and they have a couple guys coming back in Hunter Couture and Sean Padula who can both fill it up from behind the arc. Um, and, you know, uh, Castle Coliseum is a hard place to play. Very loud. Um, it's kind of cool when the fans keep singing um, Enter Sandman, even after the game starts, when the music stops, it's kind of cool. It's a tough place to play. They've done very well. Last year was kind of an off year. Um, but, you know, he's 35 and 38 in the ACC in five years. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure if you told Hokie fans when they hired him that that would be the case, they would have taken that, you know, and winning an ACC tournament and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely a better program than they were. And, you know, I, I would expect them to continue getting better. As far as Tony Bennett, um, you know, some fans are never happy, right? There's a banner up there from 2019, and people say they're lucky. VCU fans especially love to rag on Virginia. They say they're boring and all that stuff. But you know what? I don't think winning's boring. And um, they've done fabulously well, won a bunch of ACC regular season titles, won a couple of tournaments. Um, Tony Bennett passed Terry Holland as the winningest coach in Virginia history last season. Um, they got Reese Beekman back. They got some young players that, you know, one of the things I think people think about when they think about Virginia is they brought in a kid from St. Thomas of Minnesota and they brought in a kid from Merrimack and people are like, what are they doing in the ACC? They wouldn't be in Virginia if they weren't good players. Tony Bennett doesn't really make mistakes that way. Um, these are kids that can play. They, Two of the kids averaged 17 plus points a game. One of them, six eight bruiser, averaged 17 points and nine and a half rebounds. Um, and they have a, a point guard from Georgetown. Sorry, Matthew, but they have a point guard from Georgetown. And um, Dante you know, Harris is awesome too, by the way. Yeah, and you know Tony Bennett and good point guards. I mean, look at the NBA. Look at all the guys from UVA that are in the NBA. And some of them are just lighting it up. I mean, Joe Harris has games where he hits six three-pointers in a quarter. You know, I mean, you know, they're they're not megastars, but they're solid, solid players. Um, and they play defense. And there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, people that like to rag on Tony Bennett for whatever reason. Remember what the Pete Gillen days were like, what the Dave Lato days were like. Um, you know, they're... They're in as good a shape coach-wise as any program in the country. That is very well said, Hank. And I think that a lot of Virginia fans could use a re-education <laughs> re on that aspect. Jeff? All right. Thanks, Matthew. Um, 
Hank, let's get into football now. I'll start with a two-part question. Uh, first, uh, some of your thoughts on the momentum that looks like is brewing for Virginia Tech head coach Brent Pry. And then second, let's get into Virginia Tech football and the expectations uh, for this year for the Hokies. I think they're going to be better. Um, I think one of the things, I, I think Brent Pry is going to be successful there. Um, I think he speaks that language. And, you know, there were people that last year on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, um, you know, saying, get rid of this guy and just start over. And it's like, what? This, I, I think he is a hokey through and through. I really do. I think he fits, fits in there. I think his mentality is right. Um, I think his priorities are right. Um, he made no bones about it at ACC Media Day that they're rebuilding. You know, they have a lot of a lot of uh, making up to do after, you know, the Justin Fuente time. And, you know, a lot of that and a lot of the momentum they're building is on their recruiting trail in Virginia. People are happy to see them coming back um, because there wasn't seemingly a lot of that going on when Fuente was there. And, you know, the cupboard was kind of bare. A bunch of guys left, um, you know, but um, I, I think he's doing the right thing. I think he's being smart by saying, hey, you know, we're in a rebuilding mode. We have um, a lot of work to do. Um, he's talked a lot about the culture. He's embraced the NIL thing, which I think the Hokie fans have embraced um, because Hokie fans like a winner and whatever it takes, you know. Um, they brought in a lot of recruits, wide receivers that are going to be explosive. Allie Jennings from Old Dominion, who helped beat them last year when he was at Old Dominion. They got a kid from Norfolk State, Daquan Felton. Um, they got another guy. They got a transfer quarterback from Oregon who's a dual threat and competing with Grant Wells. Um, you know, and wide receivers that can get open. Grant Wells made a lot of bad decisions last year, but it's hard to know how many of those bad decisions were his fault and how many were the receiver's fault. And he can throw the deep ball really well. So, you know, if he's got a couple of speed burners and too many to cover, um, you know, his, his numbers could look a whole lot different this year. And Brent has um, decided he much on defense last year. He needs to be more of a head coach and not a defensive coordinator who's the head coach. Um, he said he's not sure all the coaches like his increased involvement in their areas, but he's the head coach. It's, you know, it, it, it's on him. And, you know, their defensive back uh, situation is, is kind of getting back to where it used to be when they always had somebody who was really good or some somebodies that were really good. They have four guys back that played a ton last year. Um, their defense always has a couple of real exciting players on it. They're going to miss Dax Holyfield. Um, he was kind of Mr. Hokey too. Um, but you know, three and eight last year is not what they want. Um, but that's certainly not what Brent Pry wants either. And I think they're going to be much better this year. All right. Um, let's move to the other ACC school in Virginia. Um, you know, give us your thoughts on Virginia, uh, the Virginia football hire in his first year, Tony Ello. Tony Elliott, um, you know, he had he had a very tough uh, first year at Virginia on the field and unfortunately off the field. Um, but their roster seems to have, you know, more holes going into the season than most ACC football rosters. And then let's get into, you know, their expectations at Virginia and, and your, 
your thoughts on previewing the Virginia Cavaliers for this year? Well, I think it's going to be interesting because, again, when you talk about bringing in recruits from, like, what? A quarterback from Mammoth? Um, but, you know, he started three years. I think he started 23 games. There's a lot to be said for experience. The transfer portal is so popular because, you know, a kid could go somewhere and average 15 points a game as a freshman and think, I undersold myself. I need to step up. And, you know, that's happening, you know, in by the thousands in, in some sports. And um, so this kid, Tony Musket, what a great name for a quarterback, right? Tony Musket. Um, he's going to be their quarterback. Jay Wolfolk was going to be in the mix, but he was also a relief pitcher on the baseball team. And he decided to play baseball and focus on baseball. Um, they should be somewhat better on offense. They have a little bit more experience on the line. They have a lot of starters back on defense. Um, but, you know, they start with Tennessee. And, you know, the elephant in the room is three of their kids killed last year. You know, in one incident, another one got seriously wounded. Um, but Mike Collins, the running back, was back in time for spring practice. He was full go about halfway through spring practice. He scored a touchdown in the spring game. Um, he's been an inspiration not only to the players but the coaches. Um, they're, you know, certainly playing to honor the three guys that were killed. But I think they're also wise enough to realize that the results don't have to be how they honor them because you start with at Tennessee and or against Tennessee and Nashville. Um, come home, JMU is going to be no cupcake. Um, their first emotional game at Scott Stadium because they canceled their last two games last year. Um, Tony Elliott's a different guy than Brent Pry. Um, <clears throat> I think he the right guy to have there with a situation like what they had because I think he's very um, spiritual and all that stuff. And, you know, the, the jury's out on how well that translate translates as a coach in a living room because, you know, a lot of the kids, um, they're not looking for a father. They have a father. You know, they're not looking for, um, you know, they're, they want to come play football. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast before. George Wells said years ago that when you're sitting in a living room as an ACC head coach recruiting somebody, everyone in that living room but you thinks they're going to the NFL. And, you know, Virginia's got some talent. They got some kids that um, haven't really measured up to what their expectations were, including Mike Hollins, um, who's back and, you know, 100% physically still has some mental scars to work through, but has a very spiritual background. And, you know, I think that's helping him a great deal. Um, you know, and we'll see. Um, you know, the, the Tennessee game could go horribly. And, you know, then JMU, who knows? It's the big thing is going to be how they maintain um, the idea that they're honoring the guys that were killed and not allow whatever the results are to, um, I don't know, cast darkness on that. You know what I mean? Yep, understood there, Hank. Uh, very good. Um, across the ACC now, uh, which ACC team do you think will take a step forward this year, and which team do you think will take a step backward in 2023 ACC football? 
Well, I think NC State with Brennan Armstrong and Robert Anai there, um, you know, they were a very defense-oriented team last year. Um, and people forget Brennan Armstrong threw for over 400 yards a game two years ago at Virginia before they changed the offense, and it wasn't all Brennan Armstrong all the time. Um, so he and Robert and I and, you know, good receivers and stuff, that could be, you know, and they play at Virginia in week four. So, um, you know, that could be a really good combination that if NC State's defense is anything near what it was last year when it was one of the best in the country, um, they could be a real surprise team this year. Um, the guy who's got um, – he, he's not going to be in jeopardy in any way, but Dave Clawson at Wake Forest losing his quarterback to Notre Dame. His quarterback was great, Sam Hartman. Um, he's at Notre Dame now. And, you know, again, it's the transfer portal. It's like this is my last year. I can go to Notre Dame, maybe contend for a national championship, maybe be, be the missing piece. And, you know, stuff happens. Loyalty um, goes out the window when you're looking at your own future. And um, so I think Dave Clawson will be hard-pressed to uh, put together the kind of season they put together last year. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, he surprised people before. All right. Um, we're going to have a, what we call our th a three-part lightning round uh, questions for you, Hank. And we're just going to rapid fire ask you these. Who do you, who's the ACC coach or coaches on the hot seat going into the season? I would probably have to say Jeff Hoffley at uh, Boston College, 3-9 and nine last year, 15-20 and 20 overall. Um, you know, BC has a hard time getting people to care with the Red Sox and the Bruins and the Celtics and all that stuff. But um, – you know, they um, aren't going to go with that either. They're they're like an NFC East team, you know, uh, run the ball hard, big, big linemen and stuff. So I think he needs to um, have some success this year. All right. And, and what you said about um, Boston is no exagger exaggeration at all. And I, I'd heard similar things like that. Um, but you almost have to witness it your, yourself. I went up there a few years ago for, for a Clemson-Boston college game, and this was when Clemson was ranked number one in the country, and Tom Brady was still there with the Patriots. And and literally, I watched the local news the night before the, the game, and it was, you know, you know, does Tom Brady have a hang now? Is his leg feeling okay? I mean, it it was like 15 minutes of every move Tom Brady, you know, Bill Belichick, the Patriots. And then there was like a a blurb of a, and Boston College plays the number one team in the country tomorrow at Chestnut Hill. Uh, I mean, they, uh, you know, you've you heard of other places like, oh, Atlanta, you know, they're, they, they're not paying to Georgia Tech, you know, as much attention, that sort of thing, or in other places. And nothing compares to what I saw out of Boston College of places I've been oh, to, amazing. which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's amazing because you know they've had some they've had some really good runs, had some really good teams. They play a really rugged kind of like I said, NFC East kind of three yards on a cloud of dust, run the ball in December, that kind of thing. They they play a real tough style, which was prevalent in the ACC hasn't been, and so it gives some teams hits, and it gives you know other teams don't have a problem with it, but. Um, you know, that's been a good program on and off for, for, for quite a while. And, 
Um, and, you know, their style is just so different that they're kind of unique in the ACC in that way. Yep, yep, indeed. All right. Um, who plays for and wins the ACC title this year? Um, I, you know, I think Florida State plays for it. Um, I think they're um, very comfortable feeling like they're back to kind of on the cusp of being an elite program again. Um, and, you know, Clemson is, is the easy pick, but maybe NC State, you know, because NC State, you know, if their defense is as good as it was last year and Brendan Armstrong is as good as he was years ago with the same off coordinator, um, that could be a team that nobody wants to see. All right. Um, now let's go national. Give us your four college football playoff teams as of today, and who do you think will win the national title? You know, it's funny because at the beginning of the year when no one's lost a game, um, we put these polls together, and it's all based on, you know, the coach said this is the best running back that's ever come here and yada. Um, hard to pick against Georgia. They've won two in a row. Um, Alabama is probably going to be pretty motivated starting the season number four. Um, I'm not sure they have the horses to, to make it happen, but Nick Saban hasn't won seven national champs by mistake. Um, I think Ohio State bounces back after two straight years of being kind of embarrassed by Michigan. Um, and I always like to throw a wild card in there. So maybe Florida state, um, maybe LSU, you know, LSU, USC, Penn state, who knows, you know, there's, there's so many programs that we really won't know as much as we think we know until they actually play games. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's lots of programs in the mix and I mean, heck who saw TCU coming out of there last year? Um, you never know how it's going to, how it's going to actually shake out. It's like, you know, Ryan Leaf was a high draft pick. What's he, how long did he last in the NFL? You know, with all the analytics and all that stuff, it's, you know, a lot of it's based on coaches and, um, you know, what they had last year, how much is coming back. Um, I think a lot of programs this year have been bolstered by kids deciding to come back. Um, instead of take the money and run. Um, and I can't name a bunch of examples. I know there's a bunch at UVA, um, largely because of, you know, what happened there last year. And that's not the taste you want to leave, the taste in your mouth you want to leave with. But, um, you know, there's um, so many programs. And, you know, I love it when somebody comes out of the, out of the, um, out of the dark and, and gets into it with TCU and then they go beat Michigan and who expected that. And of course they got slaughtered by George, Georgia, but um, it's good to have, you know, I think one of the benefits when they expand the playoffs will be that it won't be the same five teams or selections from the same five teams every year. Um, you know, Clemson, Clemson, you know, they're going with that club Nick at quarterback and, you know, the other guy, I'm not even going to try to say his name, but, um, you know, he just wasn't consistent enough and didn't give them the best chance. And then club Nick came in and <clears throat> in the bowl game and played great. So, um, 
you know, um, it's so inexact. I guess that's my point. It's very, very inexact because nobody's played a game yet. It's all based on reputation, a lot of it. You know, it's kind of like when Virginia Tech and Miami were always ranked real high in the polls early in the year because of their reputation, and then they failed to live up to that, so they would drop, drop, drop. Um, you know, kind of, kind of the same thing. All right. Good comments there, Hank. Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Hank, I am glad that you mentioned NC State. Shout out to you because I don't think enough people are men- are, are mentioning men's NC State as an you know as as a team that could get to the ACC title. And from what I've heard, Dave Doran is basically going to uh, allow the offensive coordinator there to really open things up like he hasn't ever really done before. So it's going to be kind of interesting to watch the, uh, watch the Wolfpack's offense this year. So shout out to you for that. I'm going to give you my dark horse, Hank, to get to the college football playoff, the University of Washington Huskies. Oh, yeah. They're legit. Yeah, they're, and they start number 10, and Michael Penix Jr., um, one of the options to replace – Caleb Williams as Heisman Trophy, you know, and again, it's ridiculous to talk about the Heisman Trophy, but if you're going to throw together a list right now of guys to watch to start the year, he'd be on it, Penix. I mean, I've always said that college football is fun. I mean, I'm biased, of course, but college football is fun when Virginia Tech is good and when Washington is good because that stadium out there in Seattle, when that place is rocking, it is one of the loudest college football stadiums in the United States. Right. And the tailgating scene there at the, you see the horseshoe with the Lake Washington at the end of it. Right. It's just kind of, it's kind of, kind of, it's, it's an incredible scene. It's an incredible game day. Several years ago, I took a, a, uh, a yacht. I was with on the Seattle tennis club yacht where we went over from, from uh, downtown Seattle to uh, to the get to the game to Lake Washington, so we took a cruise over there, had some more durbs. I've never been on an experience like that again. I probably will never again in my life. And it was kind of, and it was kind of amazing. So here we go, man. I mean, everybody is talking about this now. Everybody, it seems like every summer, and this summer more than anything can anything that we can remember. At least Jeff and I can remember because some of the top articles in our site, Hank, as you can guess about college football realignment right oh my god and expansion what should the acc's next move be be here hank what what do you what do you think the acc should do regarding college football expansion the floor is here well you know it's kind of interesting because um as many people as think it's great and um you know all that stuff texas and the south conference like you know that's it seems ludicrous. Um, but, um, you know, the whole Stanford talk and, um, to the ACC, I mean, Stanford profile wise is kind of, kind of similar to a lot of ACC schools, Virginia, Duke. Um, and I'm sure there's ACC schools that have, um, reputations that are great academically, but that's because they're great in, in, football. And so nobody even talks about the others. Um, you know, I'm sure they're all fine schools and, um, 
you know, it's the ones that don't have football success that have to talk about how great they are academically. Uh, Virginia, really, really good academic school. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it just begs the question, when is somebody going to sit down with all the power brokers in college football and decide that this mayhem is not good? Um, you know, I know when Old Dominion um, was in the Sun Belt or the Conference USA, and half the games were played in Texas. Like, you know, your fans can't go to those games. They're not flying down to, you know. And it's just the money grab part of it offends a lot of people. The geographical part offends a lot of people. And for coaches of Olympic sports and stuff, the geographical thing offends them on behalf of their students who are going to be getting home at 4 o'clock in the morning from these places across the country after playing an afternoon tennis match. And how is that good for, you know, just the general um, athlete in a college who's not a football player, who's not going to the NFL, who's not going to the NBA? I mean, the kids are going to suffer while the university rakes in all this money. And um, I don't know. I, I there, there needs to be in some kind of breaks put on all this because the money grabbing and um, the ludicrousness of some of these alliances um, just doesn't really make any sense other than for the pocketbooks of the people at the universities. Those are extremely good comments, Hank, extremely good comments. So we're at this point where we're ready to conclude the podcast and open microphone time. Uh, I guess I will use my, I, my open microphone time to ask you a question, Hank, and then you can take your open microphone too. But Hank, did you see the Andrea Edelson article at ESPN uh, this week, ESPN.com this week about the demise of Virginia Tech football? Did you read that? I have not. I have not. I, I bookmarked it and intend to read it, but I just kind of had a um, a super busy week myself. I, there's a story coming out today about critical games, you know, that we do these pick six things. And I did one on games for this season, which, you know, just like everything else is kind of a shot in the dark. It's a, you know, um, you know, Georgia plays at Tennessee and that's the only real hard game Georgia has. Um, you know, I think Washington plays at, at Southern Cal. Um, Texas plays at Alabama, and then Texas plays at TCU. Um, I think it's Southern Cal that has a brutal um, stretch of four games in five weeks against ranked teams, most of them highly ranked. And so if Southern Cal is going to make some hay this year, they're going to really have to in that five-week stretch. So, Hank, I did read the article from I did read the article. I know Jeff will probably chime in here too. I did read the article. And I mean, I, I think a lot of it was already known. I think that for several years, Virginia Tech football has been kind of run as perhaps a mom and pop operation and not necessarily a big college football operation, a big college football operation. And I think some of that has to do with the culture of of the football program in Blacksburg. I mean, there were known story. There were things in there that were already known about 
Justin Fuente's relationships with uh, the high school coaches in Virginia and the lack of progress on on facilities. But I think there were a lot of things in there that people really didn't know. I, I don't think that people really know that there was kind of a warring faction between uh, John Balin and and uh, so, you know and some of the Fuente staff. Who you know he was a football administrator, of course, and right. uh, and 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 Whit Babcock's. Uh, invest in a investment in foot in, in football, and so some of those things weren't weren't necessarily known, Hank. Well, you know, it, it was tough probably for Fuente to have John Boleyn still around. You know, he was in in many ways Frank Beamer's right hand man, his assistant. Um, they walk a mile. I think they still do on campus every day. Frank would get out of the office, and he and John would walk around campus, and. You know, the, the folksy nature of Frank um, was j just wonderful for that, for that community. I've said before that um, the way Blacksburg reacted to that horrible, horrible April um, massacre thing um, and the way Blacksburg, Christiansburg, and the university have all banded together, um, that wouldn't have taken place in a lot of college towns. Um, but that's all part of everyone's identity, the Virginia Tech football team, especially. And um, so if, if Fuente and, and Boleyn were feuding, um, Fuente picked the wrong guy to feud with because, um, you know, Boleyn and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Frank doesn't want any influence over anything that's going on. Um, but, you know, um, 29 years in a row or something of, um, winning seasons or no 20, he was there 29 years, but you know, eight years in a row of 10 wins. Um, you know, they, they, they were great. And, you know, people may forget that they kind of faded the last several years of Frank's time there. And that's why he stepped down. But, um, I don't know, there was just something about Fuente and, and maybe the coaches in Virginia that didn't match. And I, I think the same was kind of true with Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia. They didn't, they didn't get a ton of Virginia kids either. And, you know, it's kind of weird when you turn on, you know, TV on a Saturday for a marquee game and, you know, um, Hendon Hooker's leading Tennessee against Georgia and, and all these kids from Virginia are starring on all these major, major programs. And very, very few of them, you know, ended up at a Virginia school. Very good, very good comments, Hank. Very good comments. The other, the other thing I'd add, though, I was a little surprised, quite frankly, with the timing of the story because I kind of felt like I probably should have seen this story like four or five years ago, maybe six, and not now. And it's a feeling that it's sort of like a, like a, a prize sort of thing where, like, hey, listen, we told you it was going to be. We told you I wasn't good, and this is and this is why sort of thing. So I, I was with the time. Well, you know, sometimes when you write a story um, and say, you know, it's kind of like if um, a coach gets hired and somebody gets on the story, and you say, "Oh, we knew that was going to happen." Really, um, you didn't write it, so I don't really necessarily believe that. Um, but um, you know, certainly. Um, Virginia Tech fans um, are well aware that um, 
Things haven't been great. Three and nine, three and eight, whatever it was last year is not what they expect. And um, they certainly let the team know about it. They called for Brent Pry's head on, on Twitter relentlessly as the season wore on. I mean, seven losses in a row and, and that kind of stuff, that's just not supposed to happen there. But it did. And it may take a few years. That's what Brent Pry was talking about, you know, early this year um, as they got going. It may take a few years, but. Um, I'm with you. I mean, I, and I, I never, you know, I never expected miracles overnight. You know, I, I thought, well, year three is the one that I know that I'll be watching personally. Cause I, I don't, I, I think that there's just too much to overcome on the, uh, there's just not enough, enough up front on the offensive or defensive line. Everything starts. Right. And, and I figured that it would be at least, you know, year three is when everybody should really be watching to see whether things come together. Well, that's when the kids, the, the new coaching staff has brought in should start to factor in. Um, and, you know, maybe sooner on, on some levels with some kids, but um, I think Brent Pry gets the hokey, the hokey way. I think he gets the hokey pride thing. I think he understands, having been there before in the mid-90s, I think he understands kind of the mentality. You still there, Hank? To some or degree, it, it, it's almost okay. like it's almost like um, Virginia Tech feels slighted in the grand scheme by Virginia. You know, one of the number one public universities in the country. Very similar with Richmond, I think, and VCU. You know, Richmond is this hooty tooty, very fancy, um, you know, very great, good school. And VCU feels like the redheaded stepchild. And, you know, the the fortunes of the redheaded stepchildren in both equations have been much better than the ones of the, um, you know, what I think a lot of fans of Virginia Tech and fans of VCU think as Silver Spoon University. Fair comments, fair comments. Jeff, you're up, friend. Yeah, you, you, you guys covered what I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the, the Adelson article. Um, I think that was a great point by Hank, you know, that, that this just wasn't, you know, a Fuente thing. And, and as great as Beamer was, uh, things were starting to slip towards the end of, of, of his tenure. Matthew had really good comments. Uh, we hit the uh, Cal Stanford, you know, uh, topic you know, it would have as an open mic at the beginning. Um, as far as Virginia Tech, I, I put together uh, my ten most uh, intriguing out of conference games for you know ACC teams today. And on number ten on that, I've got the Virginia Tech game against Purdue. I think Virginia Tech is going to get by Old Dominion in that opening game. And you know, here's an opportunity to play. A Purdue team that that should be decent, not great. They got some coaching transition there, but that's the kind of victory that can you know really jumpstart. I think Virginia Tech season, you know, with some confidence, you know, if they're able to start the year two and zero, oh, and and so that's of the early 
portion of the ACC schedule, that that's a game I've got an eye on. Uh, the Virginia Tech-Purdue game I'm looking forward to. Oh, and I think the Old Dominion game's a big game just because yeah, they're, the- two, they're two and two against them in, you know, the last four or five years. And, um, you know, they they lost last year. They they got their best wide receiver to transfer, Ellie Jennings, who's going to be something else. Um, and, you know, they um, win that game. And it's like, okay, so we got that taken care of. Now let's, you know. And I think Brent Pry is good at getting them to focus like that. Yeah, they get they get off to a two and zero start, and and that, the expectations will really ramp up for the season with Virginia Tech, and that that's a great point, Hank. Old Dominion is, and I even mentioned it when I'm talking about Purdue. I said there's no guarantee of getting by Old Dominion. They've they've had some success against um, Virginia Tech in recent years. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, um, you can only wait. And, and I hate, oh, the goal is to go 1-0 this week and all that coach talk. But um, that's really where, where it lies. I mean, um, you know, if Virginia Tech's players were going to focus on one game and, and whatever, Old Dominion's probably a good one just because they're, you know, they've had um, two embarrassments, really, against Old Dominion. and. Um, you know, that's something they have to fix. And if they fix that, then they can, you know, set their sights on the next one. And it's good that they're not playing Michigan or Ohio State in week two because, you know, that could undo any positivity that comes from if they beat Old Dominion. Well, definitely great. Well said, Hank. Well, well said. Well, thank thank you for joining us tonight uh, on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast, Hank. We would love to have you come on again towards the end of the season. Thanks again for your time on a, on a Sunday guys. evening. And I'm sorry it took me so long to get in here. <laughs> We're okay. We're okay, man. We're cool. Have a great evening. Have a great week, guys. You too. Thank you.